You can open your Bibles to uh, Colossians 1. We'll read Colossians 1 uh, from verse 15 to verse 23. So that's where we're going to be this morning. And uh, let's pray before we start. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have free access to your, to your word. And thank you for your spirit that helps us to understand what you want to communicate to us through your word. And I pray that as we open your word this morning, that you help us to be, to be attentive, to understand it, that you will convict us, that you will expose hearts, you will change us. I wanted to start by talking about stories. So uh, we live in a world that we are surrounded by stories. We, we watch movies, we watch TV series, we read books. We have stories everywhere, and we, always, we are always listening to stories. Um, and we always have like our favorite kind of story that we enjoy. So it may be adventure, it can be uh, romance, comedy, maybe mystery. I like to uh, I like to read mysteries, but when you're in seminary, you don't have a lot of time to read other books be- besides seminary books. So I I, I like to watch mystery-related stuff. But Bree, she's usually kind of scared of mystery, so I don't get to watch a lot of mystery. I haven't been watching a lot of mystery lately because she gets a little scared. So we watch more, you know, light stuff, but I like it too. Uh, but you, you have your favorite kind of story. Everybody does. Um, and uh, I, I went to the, the, the bookstore a few days ago, and it was really interesting that one of the largest sections in the bookstore was the biographies section. There was a lot of biographies of all, all sorts of people that you can imagine. And I just started noticing that biographies are very popular today. There's a lot of uh, movies that are biographies. And biographies are stories about a person that actually existed. Those are stories of uh, the life of someone that actually existed. And I think that people are interested in biographies because they are real. They tell you what actually happened. It's the story of a person that actually lived. So it's kind of interesting to see what actually happened, especially when someone, it's someone that you know. It's someone that is uh, famous and well-known, um, a, a world leader, or um, someone that you are interested in knowing more about their lives. But um, let's say that someone decides to write a book about your life, to write your biography, because you know your life is super interesting and you want to share everything that happened in your life to the world. So let's say someone wants to do that for you, and someone starts writing your biography. Uh, who would be the main character in that biography? Who would be the main, the main character in the story of your life? And as we think about it, the, the obvious answer to that would be me, right? Because my life is about me. Who else would be the main character of my life besides me? And that... And that's what we think. That's the assumption that we make. Um, and we do that because we are self-centered. We think a lot about ourselves. And uh, we, we are just as self-centered as the people here in Colossians, the Colossians that Paul, Paul was writing to. They are also self-centered. They are, they are also thinking about themselves. And we have the same attitude that they had. And we don't even think about it. It's just the way that we think. It's just the way that we live. We are just concerned about ourselves, about our well-being, and it's natural that we do that. In the Colossian church, they were bearing fruit. They were a good church. They were, um, Paul says that they, they were bearing fruit, and they were uh, following the example of Christ in many ways. But they also had a lot of errors that needed to be corrected, 
And like any other church, they had errors too. We uh, also, we don't have everything figured out. We need to be corrected. We need to be taught. And in the same way that we need to be taught, they needed to be taught some things uh, that he wanted to communicate to them here. And one of those errors was that they were too concerned with themselves. They were too focused on themselves, on their own traditions, on their own beliefs, their own desires, their own way of life. And they were just thinking about what they, they had in mind. They weren't too concerned about learning more stuff. They were too concerned about uh, just preserving what they had and, and being focused on them. And, uh, and a lot of those traditions were wrong traditions. They were not compatible with the Word of God. So Paul is writing to them to shift their focus from them, themselves, from their traditions and their ways, to different ways to new things that they needed to learn. And often we, we are self-centered and we think, we think too much uh, about ourselves. And a lot of times we don't think that we are self-centered because we just think negative things about ourselves. A lot of times we, we think negatively about ourselves. And uh, a lot of times we feel sorry for ourselves. We wish we could be something else. We wish we could be better. Uh, we wish we were in a different situation. And we just feel sorry for ourselves. But when you think negative things about yourself, and when you feel sorry about yourself, who are you thinking about when you're thinking like that? You're thinking about yourself. And we are self-centered in ways that we don't even notice. We are self-centered in ways that we, we don't even see. And uh, we see ourselves as the main character of our lives. If our lives, if you were to write a, an autobiography, a, a biography of your life, you would be the main, ser- the main character. You would be the focus of the story because that's how we live. How would it be any different, right? And uh, Paul, he wants to shift our perspective here. He wants to show us that uh, there is someone else that needs to be the main character in our lives. There is someone else that needs, that our lives, they need to be all about that one person. And he points us to Christ as the one that needs to be the main character in our lives. Um, and uh, for him to do that, he, he talks to us, he, he, tell, he writes about how great Christ is. And he wants to show us that Christ is preeminent. He wants to show us that Jesus is preeminent. And that, that is a word that we don't always use, the word preeminent. So uh, a lot of times we don't even know what that means. So the, the word preeminent, it means the first and foremost, the most important, the greatest. In other, word, in other words, the main character. Christ is everything. He, he has first place in everything. He is preeminent. And he will, he will prove that to us as he shows us who Christ is. So uh, on verse 15, the first thing that we see here, let's see. Verse 15, he says, he is the image of the invisible God. So that's how he starts. Christ is the image of the invisible God. So the first thing that we see here is that Jesus is God. That he is the, the copy of God. He is the image of God. If you look at him, you see God. And uh, when he talks about Jesus being in the image of God, we think about the fact that we are also created in the image of God. But there is a difference between us being in the image of God, being uh, created to represent God, to show God. 
in Christ being the image of God. Because the image of God in us is corrupted. It's broken. We are created to represent God, to show God to the world through our words, our life, and we fail in doing that. We don't represent God perfectly because sin has corrupted us. But when he says that Christ is the image of the invisible God, he's saying that Jesus, he represents God perfectly, with no sin, with no error. He is the perfect image of God, the perfect representation of God. And even as he, when he lived as a man, he never sinned. He always represented God perfectly. If you were to write a story about someone, that's the person that you want to write a story about. Someone who really represents God. Someone who really is what he's supposed to be. He represents God perfectly. And, and the Bible says that no one can see God. But when, we, when they saw Jesus, they were seeing God. And the Bible says that because of sin, no one can be with God. But because of Jesus, because of what He does for us, we can be with God. He says that He is the only way to God. Only faith in Jesus will give you access to the Father. So when you think about Jesus being the image of God, He, he represents God, He shows God to us, but He also gives us access to God. He's also the way for us to have access to God. And then he says, he continues in verse 15. He is the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn of all creation. Uh, this, this word firstborn, uh, it can be a little complicated because uh, when we think about firstborn, we think uh, that that person was born at a certain point. But th what this is talking about is not... Uh, as far as time, being born at a certain point. But uh, he's talking about a position, a rank that someone has. At that time, being the firstborn meant that you had a lot of privileges and you have a lot of rights that your siblings that were born after you wouldn't have. So this is what Paul is talking about here. He's not saying that Jesus was created. Jesus w wasn't created. He has always existed. He's God. He has always been there. And uh, this is something, this is uh, a verse that a lot of cults, they isolate this verse to try to create heresies about Jesus, to, to say that he was created at some point. So therefore he's not equal with God. He's in a way inferior. Um, and that, not only cults do that, but uh, uh, this organization called uh, Ligonier Ministries, they conducted this survey. And if they found out that even Christians believe that. They found out that 78% of people who call themselves Christian, they would affirm that Jesus was the first person that was created by God. 78% of the people that they called and that called themselves Christians, they would affirm that Jesus was the first created being. But clearly we see that Jesus was not created. He has always existed. He has always been God. What, what this says is that he, uh, as the firstborn, he has special rights. As a firstborn, uh, he is the most prestigious one. He is the first and foremost, the most important. You, you can think of, about the son of a king. When a king dies, the son of a king, he inherits the throne. He has a right to be the king. And that's the kind of language that, that Paul is using here. 
And this is very interesting because uh, when Paul says this, that, that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, he uh, is, is talking about a prophecy that was promised to David. In Psalm um, eighty-nine twenty-seven, it says, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of all kings of the earth. So Jesus is the one that fulfills proph- uh, prophecies that were made about him hundreds of years ago. And he is the most important. He deserves all the praise. He has all the rights and all the privileges that a firstborn of a king would have. So when he says this, the firstborn, this is what we have to think about. He's the best. He is the, the first and foremost. He has all the rights and all the privileges. And then in verse uh, 16, he says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. So uh, we see this expression here, heaven and earth, right in the beginning of the Bible. If we go back to Genesis 1, it says that God created the heavens and the earth. And that's a phrase that's used in the Bible to summarize everything in the universe, the whole universe. Everything here on the earth and everything when you look up and you look at, at, at the skies and you see the, the universe. He created everything. And this is a really good way uh, to, to put us in perspective, to, to show us that He's the one that created the whole universe. And uh, when, you, when we learn about, about how big the universe is, uh, the, the bigger it seems to be and the more complex it seems to be. And that really helps us to put us in perspective. When we look at God's creation and how massive it is, that helps us to see how small we are, how temporary we are compared to His creation, compared to the, to the universe and the, and the earth and the heavens. How much more compared to the Creator that created all these things? We're so small when compared to the greatness of Christ. He wants to show us how great Christ is so that we may be taken off of the center of our lives, so that we may behold His greatness and forget a little bit about us, to show us uh, just how small we are. And He does, and God wants to show how small we are and how big He is, not to shame us, not only to make us feel bad about ourselves, but He does that to humble us. He does that because He loves us And He doesn't want us to be consumed by our pride, to be fooled by the lie that we are the most important, that we are the greatest. He wants us to to be humbled and to be put in the place where we need to be. And and now I want you to think about some of the most satisfying moments of your life. When you were looking at something great, something that was really impressive and, and beautiful, and you felt satisfaction, you felt that, the joy of seeing something big. Uh, I remember a few years ago, uh, we, we went to Wyoming, and we got to see the, the, those huge mountains in Wyoming, and they were just beautiful. And I've never seen mountains like that before. So it was just amazing to see something so, so big and so massive and so heavy. And those are moments that you are just in awe of greatness and beauty. And, and we can experience that every day. We can just go outside and look at the sky and see the stars and think about how great they are, how massive the stars are. Or even when you look at, at the sunset and uh, how, how many colors there are in the sunset and how complex and beautiful it is. And those are the things that help us to feel that awe of greatness and satisfaction 
we don't find that when we look at ourselves. You've, it, uh, when I asked you to think about one of those moments, you didn't think about a moment that when you were looking at, at the mirror. And that's what, what the world is trying to do to, to us. The world is putting mirrors in front of us so that we, can for, so that we would forget greatness and, and glory and beauty and trying to show the smallness of who we are. And we are surrounded by mirrors in this world. We are surrounded by, by selfies and all about ourselves, always trying to just point us to ourselves. And sometimes we need to look at ourselves. We need to confront ourselves. But we, also, we need to confront ourselves in the perspective of, of greatness. But the truth is that greatness, even the, the greatness of nature, that will not be sufficient to satisfy us. The greatness of nature doesn't satisfy us. Only great, the greatness of God can truly satisfy us. So when God shifts our focus from ourselves to His greatness, that is for our good, because only His greatness can truly satisfy us. Only His greatness can truly give us what we really need, that we will never find in ourselves. Ultimate joy will never be found in you. Ultimate joy will never be found in small, corrupt Jude. Ultimate joy is only found in God. And if you live a life that's all about yourself, you will never find the ultimate joy that you were looking for. Only God, only the greatness of God can give that to you. And then uh, continuing in verse uh, 16, he says that he created all things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. And here we see that that Christ, He was active in creation. That Christ created everything, the things that we see, the things in this universe that we can see and touch, and even the things that we don't see, the spiritual world. Angels and demons, He created all things. And all of those, those forces, all angels and demons, they all are ultimately subject to His power. He is the greatest authority in, the, in, in this visual world that we live and in the spiritual world that we don't see. He is over all things. And even in, when we think about the authorities of the world, He is above all else. He is above all authorities in the world because He created them. He is their creator. And He is above all authorities. And then uh, on verse uh, 17, we see that all things, uh, He is before all things. Uh, going back to, to verse 16, he says, All things were created through him and for him. So here we see again that he was active in creation, that all things were created through him. And then we also see that all things were created for him. A lot of times we think that creation, that the world was created for us. And this really opens our eyes to the reality that that's not true. That things were created for him. He, he is the, Christ is the agent of creation, but He is also the goal of creation. He is uh, what creation was made for. We are not the main focus of creation. He is the main focus of creation. The world was not created for us. We do benefit of, a benefit of creation. We, we have many benefits of being here in creation, but ultimately creation is for Christ. Creation speaks of His glory. Creation is for Christ and it's about Christ. 
it's not all about us. And, and we are actually part of creation. We are part of this creation that is for Christ. And as being part of creation, we need to join the rest of creation in being all about Christ, in living our lives for Him, and displaying His glory. So that again puts us in our place. This, this world, this universe, it's not all about us. It's about Christ, about His glory, about His greatness. And as part of this universe, as part of this creation, we are supposed to display His glory. We are supposed to be about Christ. And then we go to verse uh, 17. He says, And He is before all things. He is before all things. Everything in existence can be divided into things. Creation and Creator. You're You're either part of creation or you are part of being the Creator. And Jesus, He is not in creation. He is the Creator. So He was here before everything was created. He was here before everything ever existed. And in a story, uh, the, the, the main character, He usually uh, is introduced to you right in the beginning of the story. If you don't have the main character in the beginning of the story, it gets kind of confusing. So usually the main character is introduced right in the beginning of the story. And Jesus, He is here not only in the beginning, but He's here before the beginning. So when we think about the story of the world, when we think about the story of creation, he needs to be the main character because he was here even before the beginning. Jesus has been here since the beginning and before the beginning. And the story of the world is about him. So when we think about the story of our lives, it's really not uh, Jesus entering our story. It's about we entering his story. He is the owner of the story. He is the writer of the story. He is who the story is about. So it's not that it's not like he is part of our story. We are part of his story. We are the ones that enter his story because it's all about him. And then on verse uh, 17, the, the rest of verse 17 says, uh, and in him all things hold together. And I think that this is pretty amazing because uh, it shows us that Christ is present in all things in creation. In Him, all things hold together. And when we think about creation, we think about, you know, even in in the universe, planets, how they are all in in orbit because of gravity. And they are all doing what they're supposed to do. And when we go from galaxies to atoms here, the, the smaller particles in, in, in the world and how they are all held in place. He sustains all things. He creates all things and He sustains all things. Jesus, He is taking care of the big things, but He's also taking care of the small details of creation and how that applies to our, our lives. He takes care of every detail of our lives. He holds all things together in creation. And when we, we look at creation and we, think, we see things in order, we see the, uh, the seasons of the year and how everything works well. Order is just that because Jesus is active in creation. He is the one that puts order into chaos. He is the one that holds everything together. It's not like He created this world and, he, and, and then He just left to do something else. He created this, and He's active here. He, he's controlling this. 
He's holding everything together. And when we think about us, He's also the one that holds, He holds us together as a church family. The reason why we gather together as a family it's not because we have uh, the same ideas. It's not because we have the same uh, tastes and the same preferences. It's not beca- because we have the same age, because we have the same uh, social class. It's, it's not because of that. The reason why we are here together is because we have one thing in common. We have Christ in common. And He is the one that holds us together. And He calls us to be in unity. He holds us together and He's calling us to work so that unity can remain there. That we can remain in unity because He will continue to hold us together as one body, as one church. And as He talks about the church in verse 18, He says, and He is the head of the church. He's the head of the body, the church. Uh, so we see that Jesus is also the head of the church. And when you think about this, this idea of the head, the head of your body. Um, your brain is responsible for making your members grow. As you grow up, your brain, your brain is, is the organ that produces what you need for your members to grow uh, as, as you're growing up in life. And then uh, even when you move, when you move your arms and you move your legs, your brain is the one that's giving the commands for your members to move. In the same way that, that your head grows and controls your body. Jesus is the one that grows and controls the church. He is the one that grows and guides the church. And He is the main character of the church. He is the, 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 main, uh, the, the main person in the church that will set the pace for us. He is the one that, that will guide us and control us. And then uh, the rest of verse 18, He says, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything... He might be preeminent. Here he's using the word again. He's using the word pre- preeminent. He is the most important. In everything, he might be the first important. He's the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. Uh, when we think about that, we, we realize that Jesus, he is the only one that has already received a resurrected body. He's the only one that has already received a glorified resurrected body. And when, uh, when we receive our resurrected bodies, when we raise from the dead for eternity, we'll, receive, uh, we'll have a resurrection like His resurrection. We'll receive a real glorified body like His body. Because He sets the pace for us. He, uh, and He is the one that gives this life for us. He's the one that earned this new life for us, this eternal life for us. And He's the one that gives it to us. A new life that starts now as we live a new life in Christ. And since He is the one that earns this life for, for us, and He is the one that gives it to us, He needs to be the main character in this life that He has given us. Because He is the one that earned it, and He is the one that gives it. So he, our lives need to be all about Him. Because that's how it will be throughout eternity. Our lives throughout eternity will be for His glory, for His worship. And that starts now. And then in verse 19 it says, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Um, 
Recently, Bree and I, we got to, to go see um, one of our friends' new baby the day that that baby was born. And it was a very neat experience. It was the first time that we were doing that. So it was just amazing to be able to hold a baby that was just born and to see a baby that's just so, uh, so small and, and delicate and so fresh. And just uh, a baby that needs so much help to be able to, to live. But it's, it's just so beautiful to see a new life. And also, when uh, you hold a baby, just to think that this creator of the world, the, the, this Christ that created all things, that is in control of all things, he became one of those little babies so, so that he could save us. He humbled, him, humbled himself and he gave himself into the mercy of man so that he would save us, to glorify God and to save us. How amazing it is that that baby, he was holding the fullness of God. The fullness of God was dwelling in that baby that grew up to be a man, that lived perfectly and died for us. He is true God and true man. That's who Christ is. And on verse 20 he says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things. And here we see this word, heck, Reconcile. Today, uh, this word is often used uh, when you're talking about uh, marriages that have been broken. A lot of times they can uh, try to reconcile that marriage and restore it. And when you think about reconciliation, restoring something that's broken, you think about this conflict that is separating those two people. There is a conflict there they're separating, and that conflict needs to be taken care of so that those people can be restored. And here he's saying to, re- to reconcile to himself all things. And he's saying that because we need to be reconciled to God. There is a conflict between us and God. We, we are not born at peace with God. We are born with a conflict between us and God. And this conflict needs to be taken care of. And when he, when he talks about all, all things, uh, to, be, to reconcile all things, he's saying that anyone can be reconciled to God. Anyone can be reconciled to God. It doesn't matter if you, are, you, you grew up in a Christian family. It doesn't matter what your past is like. Anyone can be reconciled to God. It doesn't matter the, the circumstances of your past. You can be reconciled to God. Jesus is able to reconcile the most unlikely people to God. And that is His ministry. That's what He wants to do. And He's able to do that for you, if you have not yet been reconciled to God, He's able to reconcile you to God, to end this conflict between you and God, and to give you peace with God, to unite you again with God. If you repent of your life of indifference about who God is, of your life of rebellion, if you confess that Jesus is truly God and He's truly the one that is able to save you, if you confess that what He did at the cross is sufficient to save you, if you, confess, if you trust that His blood that was shed on the cross is sufficient to, to wash you and to reconcile you to God, to end this conflict, to end this war between you and God, He is able to reconcile you and to make you part of His family. All things, reconcile all things, to God, to Himself. And in verse 20, He continues to say, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace 
by the blood of His cross. Jesus' blood shed on the cross is what makes peace between broken sinners and God. He is the one that, that makes peace between us and God. And one day Jesus will ultimately end all rebellion against God. He will, he will bring peace and there will be no war against God. There will be no rebellion against God. He will do that either by making those who trust in Him friends of God, by ending the war between us and God and reconciling us to God through the blood of His cross when we believe and we trust that what He did was sufficient to save us. Or He will do that by forcing the enemies of God, the people that refuse to, to believe in God, the people that refuse to end their war, their war with God. He will force them to fall on their knees and acknowledge that Jesus is God and Jesus is Lord. And one day, every war against God will end because of what Jesus has done to bring peace between us and God. His cross is what makes peace between us and God. And then he also says that uh, Jesus is the Savior of the world. On verse 21, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This is our new status if we are in Christ. We are holy and blameless and above reproach before God. This is what Christ has made us. How can we live a life that's all about us when our status and what we are before God is completely changed by Christ? He is the one that defines who we are now. Because before Christ, before putting our faith in Christ, it says that we were alienated. And that means that we were strangers to God. We didn't, uh, it was if God didn't know us. We were strangers to God. But because of what He did, we become God's children. We, God not only knows us, but we are part of His family. We are His children because of the work of Christ. And it says that we were hostile, that we were enemies of God, that we waged war against God. But because Christ brought peace between us and God, we are now friends of God. Everything that we are before God as saved people is transformed by what, by what Christ has done for us. He is what defines our status before God now. Not us. He is the one that does that. The death of Christ reconciles us to God. It makes us holy, blameless, above reproach before God when we believe in Him. And He, he not only makes us to, to be like that before God, but he also, God also enables us to live it out, to live like that, to live a life that is holy and blameless before God. He helps us to grow from the life of sin that where we were to become more and more like Christ. And now, when we think about this, when we think about Jesus being preeminent in all things, Jesus being preeminent in, in the universe, in the church, he's the most important in the universe, he's the most important in the church, he is the most important in our salvation. He is the most important in creation in all time. How should that, those truths, affect the way that we live our lives? 
How should that live, change the way that you see you in, in your own life? Who should be the main character in your life when you think about Christ like that? How will, will you live after seeing the truth about who Christ is? Life with, uh, since Jesus is preeminent in all this, this is what we have to do. We have to first uh, live with Christ as preeminent, the main character of our lives. We need to live with Christ as being the main character of our lives. And what does it look like today? What does it look like? What does it look like for you to live with Christ as the main character of your life today? What is going to change today when, we, when you leave church and do other things? Living with Christ knowing that Christ needs to be, to be the main character of your life, to be the focus of your life. How is that going to change your life on Monday and then Tuesday and throughout the week and throughout your life? To live with Christ as a main character. How should the fact that Jesus is the main character of your life and not you change the way that you live? And just ask yourself this question. How should that change the way that I deal with my family? How should the fact that Jesus is the main character of your, of your life change the way that you deal with your family? Will my actions be based on what I want or will my actions towards my family be based on what Christ wants and on how I can best represent Him to my family? And wh- what would that change the way that you deal uh, with your church family? How, knowing that Christ is to be the main character in your life, change the way that you deal with your church? Am I just going to show up whenever it's convenient to me? Or will Christ be the main character? And I'm going to be involved with my church family. I'm going to serve and I'm going to give faithfully because we want to glorify Him together and represent Him together because this church is not all about me. It's all about Christ. And how would that change the way that you talk to unbelievers? Are you going to talk to unbelievers in a way that you're just concerned about what they think about you and how they're going to perceive you and how you're going to come across as someone who is you know, open-minded? Or are you going to talk to unbelievers trying to show them how desirable Christ is, how beautiful He is, and how He needs to be the main character in their lives too. How is that going to change the way that you make decisions in your life? Are you going to make decisions based on the fact that you want to please yourself because you are the most important? Or are you going to make decisions based on what will please Christ because He is the most important in your life? We can say that we live for Christ, but if someone wrote the biography of our lives, who would be the main character in that biography? If someone wrote the story of your life, who would be the focus of that life? Would it be you or would it be Jesus? Our, our actions will show who we really believe is the main character of our, our life. Our, our actions will show who really is the most important in our lives. Jesus is not supposed to be only a brick on the wall of your life. He's supposed to be the cornerstone of your life. He's not supposed to be only a chapter, a character in the book of your story. He's supposed to be the main character 
He is the main piece here. And since Jesus is preeminent, uh, since Jesus is the most important, we will persevere in purity and, and obedience to Christ. The fact that He is the most important, that will change the way that we live. And then in verse uh, 23, Paul says this, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed to all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. He's calling us to continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. This is a challenge for us to continue to live like this, to continue to live with Christ as the main character, to continue to live uh, stable and, and steadfast on Christ that is the rock of our lives. And in our lives, we will be tempted to, to make our lives all about ourselves. Every day, you will be tempted to be the main character in your life. Every day, you will be tempted to put other things in the center of your life and to take the focus away from Christ. And we need to remember every day to keep the focus on Christ to be, because He is the one that gave us freedom of, our, of a, center, a self-centered life so that we could live a life of peace with God that is centered in Him. And we do that by walking by faith. We can only do that as we walk by faith. This challenge is not something you can do on your own. The challenge to live your life for Christ, the challenge to have Christ as a main character of your life is not something you can do by yourself. God will be with you. He will help you in this. And when we, we want to base our lives on what we feel, we need to remember the truth. We need to remember that our lives are about Jesus. If we try to center our, our lives on ourselves, we'll destroy ourselves. We'll destroy our lives. But when we center our lives, our lives in Christ, He gives us peace and He keeps us put together. He, he holds things together and He helps us to grow in the likeness of Christ. And when we try to do that, we'll be tempted to, to not do that and we'll be tempted to be discouraged. And when the enemy comes to us and he, he tells you, look at your life. Look at you have failed miserably in living your life for Christ. Look at, at how you have lived your life all for yourself. What is the point of trying? What is the point of just trying hard? Just, just give up. Give up on this. We'll be tempted to do that, to just give up, because we fail in living our lives for ourselves. But we need to remember that God is a God that forgives. That God is a God that helps us when we fail. That God is a God that, that will give us assurance of our salvation so that we can keep going. And we need to remember what He has done for us to put us where, where we is. That he is able to save us, but He is also able to help us and to keep us where we are supposed to be. For that, we need to remember the gospel every day. We need to remember that Christ died for us and that our status before God is Jesus' status before God. We need to live out the gospel every day. We need to, to trust that what He has done is sufficient to save us. Every day. We need to remember that every day. We need to trust that He is able to keep us and to maintain us Every day. If you have been reconciled to God, 
by the death of Jesus, your life is no longer all about what you have done. Now your life is all about what Jesus has done for you. And you are called to live it out. Don't base your life on your feelings, on whatever comes and goes, on your desires. Base your life on where your faith rests in Christ. He needs to be the main character. And uh, if you go to your notes there, there are a few ways to help us to make that practical in in our life, to help us to make that real in our lives. So the first one is, I will examine myself to see how I have taken the center stage in my life. I will confess my pride, humble myself, and use my life to give attention to Jesus. And then the second one is, I will reflect Jesus' work of reconciliation by working to restore any broken relationships that I have with my church family. Because He forgave us, we are called to forgive one another. Because He died to make us one, we are called to live in unity. And the last one here is, I will celebrate Jesus' victory on the cross as I participate in the Lord's Supper by remembering and giving thanks for His gracious work for me. And that we had the opportunity to do that today, to celebrate the fact that Jesus is preeminent, that He is the one who died for us, and His death is the victory that gives us access to God, that ends the war between us and God, and gives us a new life in Him. And because we have this new life that was given to us by Christ, we need to live this life for Him. We cannot live anymore as the main character of our lives. Jesus is the main character. He is preeminent. So let us live with Him as the main character. Let's pray now. Father, thank You for sending us Jesus to live as a man, to die on the so that be reconciled to you, that he would be, and that he would be preeminent, that he would be the main character in our lives. And now help us to live with Christ as the main character of our lives. Help us to identify ways in which we have taken center stage of our lives and to find joy in living in a way that is all about Jesus, so that everyone that looks at us can see Christ in us. In Jesus' name, amen.